Brother Jeff thought that today would be a good day for me to preach a sermon, a fire and brimstone sermon. But I think that uh, we've been warmed up here already, and it's just want to welcome you to faith and to our uh, message series on unparalleled grace from the Gospel of Luke. Uh, we are looking at the very unique passages that aren't found in any of the other Gospel accounts uh, that Luke unfolds for us, that we might be captivated uh, and transformed by the grace that we find there. Now, last week, uh, Pastor Ronnie Perry from the West Palm Beach, warm Florida, had uh, reviewed with us the very first part of that opening uh, unique passage from, from Luke chapter 2, where Jesus is the only passage in all of Scripture where Jesus is presented as a boy, 12-year-old boy, who uh, was left behind. Uh, he was home alone, uh, lost in the temple, uh, and his parents came to grips with what it meant to raise a God child, <laughs> and, uh, and finding his born identity and all the things with that. You know, we, we, Ronnie taught us that you know, Jesus will confuse and confound us, but Jesus will also commit himself to those who trust and treasure him. Well, today we're going to be moving a fast forward in the Gospel of Luke. 18 years from that time when Jesus was 12, he is now 30 years old. Uh, he was initiated, inaugurated, or anointed by John the Baptist. And it says immediately after that he was led into the desert by the Holy Spirit to be tested and tempted for 40 days uh, by Satan. Uh, it was not just boot camp, but it was hand-to-hand -hand combat that he was doing, and he was victorious. And then Jesus uh, then came forth, and we find this passage in, in Luke chapter 4 that presents to us uh, really his first uh, statement in the ministry of the gospel in Luke chapter 4. And if I would, I'd like you to stand as well as we read the scriptures, because when Jesus read the scriptures... As we will look in this passage, he stood. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit in, to Galilee, and, re, and a report went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the, of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard that you did in Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, 
There were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. It is generally thought that when a team plays at home on their own turf, they have what's been known as home field advantage. Players' natural tendency is to protect uh, their home turf, protect this house, drives apparently higher levels of testosterone that enhances performance and, uh, and levels in their game. Research also says that with larger crowds at home uh, that show encouraging behavior like cheering, uh, they are linked to home team success. Crowd noise may even impact the way umpires will referee the game in favor of the home team. Now, if you've ever been to a Ravens game and uh, you're at that third, uh, third down and you can hear the decibel level that goes up to try to distract the other team, that is definitely a benefit for the home team. And apparently they were measuring the decibel levels in Kansas City with the Kansas City Chiefs and they apparently broke Seattle Seahawks fans record by having the loudest outdoor stadium by creating 142.4 decibels worth of noise at the Arrowhead Stadium with 76,000 screaming fans. But apparently it wasn't enough to get them to the Super Bowl. Well, <laughs> however, when we consider our passage today, we find a reversal of this notion. Here, we find that when it comes to Christ and to his message of good news, coming home is a disadvantage and it's difficult. Not only because familiarity produces forces for comfortable conformity, but also because familiarity can blind us to the greatness of a person and it can deafen us to their words. I was talking to uh, a mother last week, actually, after worship, and she was sharing with me how uh, her son, her teenage son, who often she finds unappreciating her and disrespecting her, uh, was somewhat surprised that his friends were actually asking to talk to his mother, and, to, and they were kind of interested in being around and hanging out with his mother. And he was confused of why is it, what is it that my friends see in, in my mother? And, and she told him, so, well, maybe they like it when somebody cares about them. They like it when someone listens to them. And that maybe, maybe someone has some wisdom to offer. And he said, huh. Well, we find that familiarity often uh, blinds us to a person's 
greatness. Here Luke showcases near the beginning of Jesus' ministry uh, his one and only visit to his hometown in Nazareth, the town he was raised in. But we find that Jesus was not coming home to a party. He was coming home to a lynch mob. Here we see an initial excitement turn to doubt, turn to a death wish. And here I believe Jesus reminds us that the good news he brings is received only by those who can accept the hard news. Here we see that good news is good news to the poor, that it's hard news to the proud, and it's sovereign news to the powerless. It's good news to the poor. Verse 14, he says that Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and the news spread about him throughout the region. And in that account, we find in Matthew that he's been healing. Uh, he's been healing diseases and sickness, and he's preaching the good news of the kingdom. And so there's actually a fair amount of history that went on before Jesus stepped into Nazareth. But Dr. Luke opens this account because Dr. Luke wants this account to be uh, presenting that Jesus isn't just for the Jewish people, he is also for the Gentiles. And this is the heated point in this message. He wants to be, bring salvation to all who believe. So Jesus finally comes to his hometown where he was raised. Uh, people have been hearing rumors about this wonderful things that their hometown boy did, the miracles, the, the great uh, healings. And so he enters the synagogue as a guest preacher. Of course, Jesus was probably familiar with this synagogue because he it says as his custom. So he, he grew up going to church. He grew up sitting probably in this particular synagogue. As a normal routine, the synagogue worship was reciting the Shema, the Deuteronomy 6 passage where the Jewish people would recite that uh, you know, the Lord our God is one. And then there would be a prayer and there would be reading of scriptures. First it would be in Hebrew, uh, but the common language was Aramaic and then it was translated. The teaching ministry was shared by many men under the direction or the invitation of a synagogue leader. And it was customary to give an opportunity to visiting rabbis. And this is how Jesus was able to be invited to be able to give a word in this probably very packed place. And so on the Sabbath, he goes to the synagogue and he stands up to read. And that particular day, he was handed the scroll of Isaiah, and then Jesus finds the place that he wants to address, and he opens to Isaiah 61. He reads that passage. Everybody's eyes are fixed. What is this Jesus, this our Jesus, you know, from our town? We've been hearing great things about him. What's he going to say? Well, Jesus reads the passage, and uh, he has these words. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That was the whole sermon. It was a very short sermon. People were very happy. You know, we could use more shorter sermons. Maybe they thought there were no wasted words. Very tight message. But in essence, Jesus was saying, I am the sermon. I am the message. I am 
the good news. I am the one who's fulfilled this passage in your hearing. And what do we learn about this good news? Well, we learn that the gospel is most fundamentally good news to the poor. Jesus is declaring the arrival of divine salvation for the nation. He's declaring that he is this anointed one who has come to usher in the kingdom of God, and his message is the good news to the poor. And he reads from Isaiah 6, you know, how he was anointed to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives, to darkness for the prisoners, light, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. When you hear the word Lord, the uh, year of the Lord's favor, it's often assumed that that's referring to Leviticus 25, which is considered the year of Jubilee. This was in Leviticus where every 50 years in the nation of Israel, all of the debts were to be forgiven. Whatever debt that you had, whatever mortgages you had, your car loans, your student loans, whatever your loans, it's all cleared. It's all erased. And property was to be given back to the original homeowners, and basically everything was to be restored. Unbelievable, you see. Regardless of how stupid you were, when you purchased those things and you mortgaged yourself to debt, no matter how many credit card bills that you had and you made stupid decisions, no matter how oppressed you were by those who were oppressing you with their loans, all was released. You see, God did not create us to live as in slavery and bondage. He, he created us to live with freedom and liberty as beloved sons and daughters. What an amazing thing. Unfortunately, it was never practiced. <laughs> the Israelites never practiced the 50-year jubilee, and they just kept oppressing the poor in their midst. They just kept violating each other. But Jesus says, I've come to change that. I've come to bring good news to the poor, to release you. Jesus' literal healing and restoring people to health was a sign of that reality. But this release, his release of oppression, goes far deeper than external forces. Jesus intends to set his people free from spiritual oppression, from enslavement, of sin and spiritual blindness. Isaiah 42, a passage that we heard that really runs through uh, the next chapters in Isaiah, including chapter 53, talks about how this servant of God, the servant son of God, the suffering servant, would be the one who would address the issues of our sin and rebellion, the oppression of our own spiritual blindness and that he would be the one who would be wounded for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities, and that by his wounds we're healed. And so Jesus' immediate works of liberation are always pointed to the eternal works of deliverance and salvation. He is concerned for the whole person, the physical and spiritual. His salvation is whole and it's complete. He doesn't disconnect his salvation. And so the gospel that Jesus brings is good news 
to the poor. Certainly Jesus identifies with the poor to those who are living socially, economically, in painful, oppressive conditions, who are so familiar with the indignities of being uh, without fundamental needs. There was a report given by the World Bank, and they were doing different studies of poor around the world, and this one person from Moldova near Romania said, for a poor person, everything is terrible, illness, humiliation, shame. We are cripples. We are afraid of everything. We depend on everyone. No one needs us. We are like garbage that everyone, everyone wants to get rid of. And yet, while God is, has a huge heart and attentiveness for the poor and the weak and crushed in spirit, the additional character of the kind of poor that Christ has come to preach good news, as he says in Matthew 5, is the blessed are the poor in spirit, those who know their spiritual brokenness as well. And so David, in Psalm 34, says, I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. This poor man, David calls himself a poor man. He was a king. But this poor man called to the Lord and heard him, and he saved him out of all of his troubles. Who are the poor that Jesus came for? Jesus says, I come for the humble poor, the poor in spirit, the brokenness, the captives, the prisoners, the blind, the oppressed, the mourning, the grieving, the despairing, those who know that they are the, at the end of their resources, who have come to the end of themselves, and they know that they cannot save themselves, and they cry out to God, help me, God. The poor that Jesus come after are the humble poor. But the gospel we find here is also hard news for the proud. He says, I truly say to you, no prophet's acceptable in his hometown. So the sermon that Jesus gave was short. They were very happy, you know, what a wonderful message that he gave. And so they're wondering, what else is he going to say? But then, you know, he hears the rumors, you know. Hey, isn't this Joseph's son? You know, wasn't he raised here? I mean, and there's some confusion about, is Joseph really his dad? I mean, you can figure he, ra he was raised in Nazareth. Those rumors, I'm sure, were still out there. Joseph's son. Isn't this Joseph's son? I mean, who does he think he is? that he's come to fulfill this. And so then they said, okay, well, you know, you're talking some big talk. You know, we've heard the stuff that you've done in Capernaum. You know, prove yourself. Show yourself, Jesus. Perform for us. And so Jesus confronts them, and he tells them that no prophet is accepted in his own town. I, 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 can't, I have to believe that this is a place where probably other family members of Jesus were present. Wouldn't you think that Mary was probably in this synagogue? I think she, pro she could very well have been, and I would, I, mean, I would expect that. I would expect that Jesus' brothers and sisters were in that synagogue. And there was one point in that message when everybody spoke well of Jesus, and they were all just wonderful message that he just gave. I could hear Mary say, that's my boy. <laughs> that's my boy. And, and his brother said, that's my brother. Our sisters, they were just very proud of him. How in the world did this thing turn so quickly? Well, you know, it would have probably been okay if Jesus just had stopped there. You know, 
and he didn't perform anything. And it, maybe he would have just said, listen, uh, yeah, I know you guys want me to perform for you, but that's just not my, I'm not going to play that game. <laughs> and he left. And that would have probably, you know, he probably would have got out of there. But what was it that Jesus said that infuriated these worshipers where they intended to kill him? What was it that he said? Well, he brings up two illustrations. Two illustrations, 800-year-old illustrations from First and Second Kings about two prophets, Elisha and Elijah. And uh, these prophets were prophets that were pretty much like Jesus. They weren't respected. They weren't accepted. They had hard news for the Israelites. And so we find that in this period of lowest spiritual uh, rebellion against God, God brought a famine for three and a half years. There was no rain. The people of Israel were starving. They were under the weight of God's discipline. And so it says that God did not send Elijah to bring relief to any of the poor in Israel, but only to the Gentile widow in, the, in Sidon of Zarephath, which is a Gentile woman. He tells them that story. And then he says, and with Naaman, God didn't send any of the prophets to the lepers in Israel. And there were many lepers in Israel. But he sent them to this general, Naaman, of the enemy army, Aram, who actually had captive a girl in his midst who was an Israelite. Now, try to imagine that a prophet goes to the general of ISIS, okay? I mean, this is the kind of viral reaction that the Israelites were having, these Jews in this synagogue. How in the world that God would go to these Gentiles, these enemies, they considered the Gentiles fuel for the fires of hell. They called them, considered them dogs. And now Jesus is saying that the Israelites, these Israelites in the synagogue were like the Israelites in Elijah and Elisha's day, and they are under the wrath of God. And Jesus was very clear about his perspective of where their hearts were. And so we find that they were infuriated and they intended to kill him. Nobody comes into this house and disrespects us. And so they took him out. You know, Martin Luther King was killed because of his commitment to civil rights for all people, for black people and white people, for Jew and Gentile, for rich and poor. Malcolm X is pretty well believed that he was killed because he came to believe that the blonde-haired, blue-eyed devil man could actually be his brother, if you read Malcolm X, the autobiography. Paul, the reason that he got the Jewish people angered with him, that put him into jail, that ultimately took his life, was because it wasn't because he was preaching the gospel to the Jews. It was because 
he was telling the Jews that God was bringing good news, the gospel, to the Gentiles, and they would have none of it. And so the gospel, the good news, is a good news for all people. That is good news for everyone. And for the proud, if you can't accept that, then it will not be good news for you. It will be hard news. It will be bad news for you. The scriptures tell us that the Lord detests all the proud in heart. Be sure of this, Proverbs says, they will not go unpunished. You know, a couple days ago, uh, the Sun Paper uh, had a uh, review of uh, Anthony Batts, our Baltimore Police Commissioner, and he basically uh, was saying that the police have to tackle racism in its midst. And he was, uh, he was asked to be part of a, a police leadership team that in Arizona, a task force to address these issues because of the great uh, levels of uh, visceral hatred of the police department. And he, he said that Baltimore faces like a 1950s level black and white racism. And he said that they have to address injustices. And he said that they have to engage in literacy and mentoring and uh, addressing these various issues. And he talked about the different things that they were, they were addressing. But in the course of uh, this interview, uh, he mentioned how uh, a few weeks ago when it, uh, one of his officers was shot in a, uh, a traffic uh, engagement, he was wondering, and he said, I wonder who will support our officers and march uh, for them. And he said it was like an atom bomb that went off in his community. And he says at some point we have to move away from just black lives matter. It's just what Anthony Batts says, our commissioner, but that all lives matter. There needs to be a reverence for all life across the board if we if you can't make that statement on both sides, we have a bigger issue. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. There's a lot of truth that there's racism and systemic racism that needs to be addressed. But we find a gospel that is a gospel for all people. And uh, what a beautiful encouragement from Labette this morning just to remind us of the healing of that that is at the heart of the gospel of Christ. And so we find that Jesus comes with good news to the poor, he comes with hard news to the proud, and he comes with sovereign news to the powerless. This is a beautiful picture, isn't it? They rose up as one to take him to the brow of the cliff. Apparently, Nazareth was kind of nestled into this mountain area, and there was cliffs around it, and they were going to basically force Jesus off the cliff as a, as a mass riot, a lynch mob. There was no good, not going to be a trial. We're just taking him out. Uh, and then it says, but passing through their midst, he went away. It's like one of the Superman scenes, isn't it? You know, just kind of disappears, he's invisible, you know. Or maybe it's like the Matrix, you know, everything shuts down, everybody's still, and people walk through. I mean, it's, it's got to be one of those kinds of scenes, you know. And you, you realize uh, that there were many times that the Jews and the leaders wanted to kill and take Jesus out, but it says it wasn't his time yet, you know. John 7, 30 says, at this time they tried to seize it, but no one laid a hand on him because it, his time had not come yet. And so we see uh, this of God's protection. I, that's a, it should be a good encouragement to anyone who feels powerless or who feels under oppression or feels assaulted that God is sovereign and that nothing happens unless he 
permits it. And he'll even allow hard things to accomplish uh, his ultimate purposes of goodness. And uh, I want to just thank many of you who've been praying for our family. Uh, as many of you have known, of a dear family member, a beloved family member of mine was assaulted a few weeks ago. And, uh, and in the midst of that, I, I had shared with a pastor, a friend, I was in St. Louis, and uh, he prayed for me, and he was praying for the person that assaulted this beloved family member. And I wasn't ready to pray for that family member, I mean, that person, but I was not ready to pray. I was ready to be like that machine gun preacher. There was a movie called Machine Gun Preacher, you know. He basically was going to be an agent of God's justice. And that's where I was feeling at the point. I had no compassion for the person that did this assault. But I can tell you what has anchored me in the midst of those kinds of offenses. It's believing in the sovereignty of God, that he is totally in control of all things, even the horrible things that happen. And secondly, that he is good, that he is a good God, and he is a gracious God, and as Romans 8 tells us, he works all things according to the purposes of his good pleasure. And so we can trust him. So Jesus shows us that sovereign news to powers powers. But I want you to know that Jesus stopped his message in Isaiah 61, that passage, where he says, to proclaim to you the year of the Lord's favor, because the next verse, and this he normally doesn't cut into the middle of a sentence and doesn't give it and the day of the Lord's vengeance. In Isaiah 61, it says, to proclaim the Lord's favor and the, and the day of his vengeance. He, he withheld that. Where was that vengeance? What's the vengeance he's talking about, where God brings justice? Well, the first place that he is talking about was where Jesus was going at Golgotha, when he would extend his arms on the cross and where he gave up his life as a passive sacrifice for your sins and my sins. You see, he was the one who would bring healing to the uttermost. But Jesus also tells us about the day of vengeance where all of us will have to face a just God and be, be evaluated and recognizing that that's only going to be by grace that we're saved. But we all have to stand before God in judgment uh, even though we know that it is by grace that we're saved and not by our works. And so what is the lessons for us? Just quick applications. First, join Jesus in bringing good news to the poor. You know, Jesus is very clear about the nature of where he goes and his investments and where he spends his time. He brings good news. He comes to bring good news to the poor. And so you join Jesus and bringing good news to the poor, not because you think that you're better than the poor, but because you know of your own poverty and your own need, that you are seeing yourself as poor and need, that you need this Savior. Go because that's where Jesus goes. Go because you know you get to know Jesus better, because that's where he is, and because it is for your own healing. Bono, the rock star of you too. You know, he said a number of years ago, he met a man, and uh, he was talking to him, and he was saying that, you know, Bono would say, you know, to pray, uh, you know, he would ask this guy to pray for his new song, and uh, pray for his family, look after them, 
And, uh, and then this wise man stops and says, stop. Stop asking God to bless what you're doing. Get involved in what God is doing because it's already blessed. God said that he's with the poor. And he, he says, I believe that's where God is. And so Bono says, God is in the slums and the cardboard boxes where the poor play house. God is in the silence of a mother who has infected her child with the virus that will end both their lives. God is in the cries heard under the rubble of war. God is in the debris of wasted opportunity and lives. God is with us if we are with them. And so Jesus has a gospel, good news to the poor. We need to recognize we are poor, but we are to go with Jesus. There's lots of opportunities in Baltimore. There's opportunities in Penn Lucy. Uh, connect with the Penn Lucy Action Network. Uh, we have a Penn Lucy leadership team that's working to help lead us into various things. You'll be hearing more about that. Uh, there's lots of opportunities in Baltimore. Secondly, be careful about taking good news for granted. Be careful about making faith about a religion and not a relationship with Christ. Be careful about becoming too familiar, too familiar with Christianity of getting caught up in routines of going to worship or Bible studies and losing the wonder of a vital relationship. And how can you tell? You have to ask yourself this question. Where is your joy? Where is your joy? You know, if you find that your joy in the Lord is being attacked, then that is a sign that, you know, I've, I'm becoming disconnected from where Jesus is because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And he wants you to be amazed about what he's doing. Ask him to show you. Stay in his scriptures. And be careful about drifting away from the word. About diminishing, dismissing, or saying, well, I believe in these things in the Bible, but I will not accept these things. If you do that, you're not accepting Jesus. You're having some kind of fantasy Jesus. You're having Jesus in your box. You see, you can't say, I want this Jesus in this scripture passage, but not this Jesus in this scripture passage. It's either the whole thing or nothing. Jesus won't let you disconnect himself from his word. And so it's okay to struggle with hard passages. You know, Peter said that Paul said some hard things. It's fine to struggle. Bring your struggles to God. Tell him that I'm really struggling with what you're saying here and what you're doing here. But stay in that fight. Stay in that struggle. Bring that struggle to other humble Christians that can struggle with you. Be careful about drifting away from the fellowship. You know, it says it was Jesus' custom to go to the synagogue. It was his custom. He did that regularly. How many boring sermons did Jesus sit under? <laughs> Think about that. You know, how many stupid things happened in that synagogue community? I'm sure that it was probably terrible. I mean, look what they did to him in this scene. It was just all there, just waiting to come out. He kept going back. Why is that? Well, the scriptures were read. There were prayers offered. You know what? As messed up as church is, as messed up as preachers are, for whatever reason, God has chosen to use a weak body to be a means of grace to strengthen his people to accomplish their purposes, to mature people for his glory. And so we need each other. We need to correct each other. We need to strengthen each other, but we need to keep meeting. If you know of brothers or sisters that have disconnected, you take the responsibility to go and ask them, 
How are you? Is there anything wrong? What can I do? Not as a guilt trip, not as some kind of legalistic thing, but as love. Let love drive people through the gospel to Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that uh, Jesus comes to preach good news to the poor, and we recognize that we are people in desperate need. God, help remind us that we are a people called to be good news to the poor as well as uh, to speak hard things of truth that often cut. Lord, help us to be bold enough to hold firm the truths of the Scriptures. And Lord, help us to continue to meet together for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name.